Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I'm Benjamin Hall and I'm searching for heroes. Well, our guest today is a young man called Mikhail Maguire. He's uh, 21 and he plays college golf. But it's how he got there, which is so amazing. He was a hemophiliac when he was younger, a very serious disease. And then on top of that, when he was 11 years old, he found out that he had bone cancer, a very rare one. He went through a number of operations after that. Finally, when they didn't work, he decided to have an amputation. Uh, And we're going to talk to him today, but what's so amazing is that at every single step, he shows remarkable resilience at how he got there. He talks about community. He talks about how he always knew that there was something good on the other side. And he talks about some of the struggles as well. So here is Mikhail Maguire, real inspiration, and um, I hope you learned something from it. Uh, Mikhail, thank you for joining us today. We we really appreciate it. you have an incredible story. You're actually the youngest guest that I've ever interviewed. And, you know, you've been going through an incredible life. You've gone through so many different things. And yet I look at you now and you're, you're there with a smile on your face. I read all the things you've done. You are playing college golf. You're achieving great things. And it's as if you've never been, your your injuries have never slowed you down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's... In a way, I had like a little bit of a blessing in disguise because when I was younger, I had like this bleeding disorder that I had to treat every day. And so hemophilia, is that right? Hemophilia. Yep, correct. So basically all that does is it makes it harder for my blood to clot. And so I have to be extra careful with like contact sports and stuff like that. Like, so I wasn't able to play football or hockey growing up just because any injury like that could cause like immediate, like deathly bleeding. So I wonder if you felt when you were very young then... Were you used to going into hospital? Did you already feel that you had to take care of yourself in a different way? Like what kind of, how did that make you stronger? So basically it made me more used to these like medical situations that I ended up having to like get used to again, but it gave me a little bit of uh, independence as to like figuring it out. Because one of the big things, one of the big steps in hemophilia treatment is learning to administer your own medicine. So up until that, up until like right around, right before I got my cancer treatment, like I had to have my treatment administered by my parents because I don't think I should be sticking a needle in myself at nine years old. I don't think I'd be very qualified to do that. But right around like 10, 11, I was starting to learn how to do it myself. And so I feel like that kind of thing helped to like get me used to having to take care of myself in these like stressful medical situations. And it really helped me a lot when I first found out about my diagnosis. Yeah, it's a strange thing because I do feel that for anyone who goes through something that is difficult, it makes you stronger. Like if you've gone through it, it puts you in a much better position to handle things that come on that happen down the line. Oh, 1,000%. 1,000%. I don't think I'd like be anywhere near as resilient as I was if I hadn't had like 
that to deal with when I was growing up and gotten like a couple like just mental scars out of the way. Mm-hmm. For many people, hemophilia is a big, big enough, you know, thing to to last their whole lives. But that was just the beginning for you because was it at, was it at the age of eleven you discovered that you had cancer? Yeah. Yep. So it was at the age of eleven. This I was playing uh, soccer at the time, and I remember um, just for a couple of days, my leg just began to become really sore and be burning hot for at the time who knew what reason so because of my hemophilia we thought it was some injury related to that and so we treated it as such for a while and then it just never went away and so we had to end up going in to get like x-rays because we thought i might have broken a bone and that's when we found out that i had a tumor in my leg i mean how, how did you feel at the age of 11 you know being given this big news and, and what were you told about it at the time like how serious did you know it was uh, I know at first, I just didn't really know how to process it. I think for the first like month or so, it was kind of just numb. It didn't really feel real. And I kind of just was like going through the motions just because of how surreal an experience it was. And then I remember specifically one time like breaking down in like a gas station parking lot with my parents and just wondering like, why this? And I don't know what it was, but I feel like after that, like after I gave myself that chance to be vulnerable, it gave me so much more strength going forward to be able to handle the rest of it because I knew after that moment that I had such a strong support family to be able to back me up through this. Yeah. And you know, so many people that I speak to say the same thing, that when it comes down to it, you know, you get through it, both of your own resilience, but also family. And like having that amazing family around you, I, I clearly helped you. I mean, how, when you talk to your parents at such a young age, 11, about cancer and, and what that might lead to, what were those interactions like? How honest would they be with you? They were extremely honest with me. I mean, they were, there are obviously some things that you admit from an 11 year old, but like for the most part, since I had already been going through similar things, I feel like they felt confident that I would be able to handle this kind of news. And especially since it's like difficult to avoid it entirely. So the philosophy that they would go through is basically they wanted me to know everything. Like, obviously, you're not going to tell them like literally everything, but they up to as far as they could. They wanted me to be involved with like the decision making process of this. And they figured that if by telling me all of this information and letting me know everything that's going on, they could be there to support me through it. Whereas if they kind of omitted details and try to like dodge around the truth, it would just be more difficult for me to deal with later. So they always were like very straightforward and honest about everything that was happening so that they could be there to help me. Yeah, that's interesting. I guess it it would give you a lot of strength because you must have felt that you were making these decisions. And of course you made a big one down the line. Uh, you made that big decision. But before we get to the amputation, what, what, chemotherapy itself must have been one of the trickiest times as well. What what was that like at such a young age? Oh, uh, yeah. It was really difficult. Um, at, obviously, at first, it's going to be extremely, like, a life shift, right? I think, for like I said, for that first, like, month or two, it just didn't feel real. It just felt like I felt like I was going through motions. It, 
I was numb. I was so like high on meds. I didn't even know what was going on half the time. And it was just like, my mind just kind of like disappeared. Like that two month period, I just, except for that one interaction I had in that parking lot, I don't remember any of it. Like, cause I kind of just blocked it out mentally. But um, after things started getting like into a routine, I started like caring and started like really putting an emphasis into getting myself better as quickly as possible. Uh, I think it really helped that I had such like strong support from my parents helping me go through all of this. Yeah. Again, that's something which is so interesting. That drive, that desire to get better, that strength that you had, not many people don't have that. And I wonder if you have any idea why, where you found that strength, why you were able to say, right, we're going to do whatever it takes. Let's get through this. Yeah. So one of the things was obviously my parents. Uh, I am very blessed to have them. I definitely wouldn't have made it through without them. They gave me a lot of strength going through these cancer treatments. But I remember uh, thinking about this and the options that I had because I would have to have surgery eventually to get this tumor removed that I had in my leg, right? Whether that be, I was given a couple different options. I was given like to t- just try and keep the leg and remove the tumor and do this thing called a cadaver replacement where they take a bone from another person and replace it into my leg for the infected bone. Um, Or I could try... How much bone are we talking? How much were they looking at replacing? It was basically half of my... uh, Half of below my knee. Hmm. So the tumor was almost directly below the knee. It was like close to compromising it, but just, just barely below. And so about from that top of the bone that like connects to my knee to about halfway down they would have to take out well i remember yes they were thinking of doing something similar to me actually and they were going to there's a a new technique as well where they should use titanium and they can replace instead of bone you can now replace that with titanium but they're still um perfecting it uh, at at the moment um so then it, it came the point that you either had to have this complicated surgery, take someone else's bone, have it put in your leg, or you had to make a very serious decision, which was possibly to amputate it. How did that decision happen? Yeah. So the first time around, I actually ended up deciding to go with this complicated surgery because like as an 11 year old, I don't, didn't really want to like have this whole losing my leg thing. Like the idea of still having a leg was just like, so ingrained in my mind it was like well i can't possibly get rid of my leg if i got a chance not to right like it seemed very straightforward to me when as a child uh so i figured at the very least that i would give that one a chance because like it still gave me a chance to get active and be able to like walk around pretty decently it wasn't not nearly as much as i can now but uh it still gave me a decent chance and as an 11 year old keeping my leg and still being able to like walk around effectively seemed like an obvious choice. Um, so initially, that's what the decision you made was to have this complicated surgery. I also wonder when we're talking about sort of your recovery at that point in chemotherapy and the decision to have this operation, it's not just perhaps the physical injuries. You know, you were also taken out of presumably you weren't at school anymore. Presumably, you, your social network, all your friends. Um, 
that must be very hard as well. And I suppose you must have felt you were just suddenly in this own your own world of just having to go through the hospitals and the doctors. Were you aware of that? Was that difficult? Uh, it was for a while. I mean, it takes quite a long time to get used to these routines that like are so surreal, so different from anything you've ever done in your life. Um, I'm very lucky that like I had some very good friends that would come and visit me in the hospital. Like I had like really cool connections. I made some really cool connections while I was in the hospital through friends and family. I became good friends at the time to like one of the basketball players on the Michigan state team. And I would text him regularly. It was kind of surreal. Um, one of the things that helped me a lot through that was helping the other patients. So I had a, like a really strong support group with my family. They were able to help me do whatever I could, but there were a ton of patients in there that were like either single moms dealing with a three-year-old going through cancer. Or I remember a kid that was going through it and all he could do to go through it was have his aunt drop him off. And then he would have to like stay in the hospital by himself while he was doing these things. Wow. I mean, that's tricky. And so I suppose even at that young age, I mean, you decided that you wanted to go talk to these people. You wanted to help that kid out as well and be friends. And is that an interesting, I'm sure it is an interesting relationship that you have with someone going through the same, you know, the same process as you. What would you guys talk about? Would you just be very much to talk about, you know, basketball, f- uh, football, whatever, or, or would you talk about what you were going through? Would you be open about how hard it was and how, what, how you were looking forward? That was a little bit of both for sure. I mean, friendships tend to be built on like the lighthearted fun things. And so we did that quite a bit. One of the kids that I was friends with, he like the one that had to be dropped off by his aunt. He just didn't like feel very motivated very often, it, which can be very like make a lot of sense when you're going through something like this. But um, one of the things that helps when you're going through this is drinking lots of fluids and getting a lot of exercise in. So the fluids go through your body allows the chemotherapy to work through your system a lot faster, which means that you're spending less time in the hospital and that you can go home a lot sooner. And so one of the things that we would do was we'd knock on his door and we'd be like, yo, we're going for a walk around the floor. You're going to join us. Doesn't matter. Here's some Gatorade. Drink it. Let's get going. That's yeah, that's really funny. I am speaking to the physios who, you know, who got me back and walking in hospital. They said the same thing that, you know, so first of all, there's some people like yourself who just want to get up and keep working every day. And then there are some who have really difficult times who can't motivate themselves. And they had these beds in hospital that just turned completely up. So that, and they would say to these people, we're putting your bed straight up and either you're going to step out of it or you're going to fall out of it because sometimes you need to push those people and you got to get them going and find that way. And I'm amazed at why how you had that desire, that motivation to help others. So like, where did that come from? That was a big thing. So that was another thing that my family like preached upon. We are in, we like, I'm, my family is decently like well off. I mean, we're, we don't struggle for very much. And so one of the things that like is always like preached in our family is helping others when you can. Right. So one of my favorite traditions growing up was every year for Christmas, the 25 days leading up to it, we would do a random act of kindness each day. Like we'd plan one out. Like, for example, one of them was we would go to like ring the Salvation Army bells in front of Walmart or we would like 
go buy dog food for a shelter or something like that. So this idea of like helping other people and kindness was instilled at a very young age. And I thank my parents very much for that. More of our conversation right after this. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Do you think that there, we live in a world where there isn't enough of that, that fewer people are doing it and uh, that we're losing it? Uh, I think it's easy to overlook it, I think. So tragedy sells a lot harder than kindness does. But I think if you're able to look in the right spots, you can still find it. It's just it's a lot harder to see because of all the tragedy that's happening recently. Tragedy sells a lot harder than kindness. Um, that's amazing. You know, I work in news industry and of course, you know, we report the bad news. Like that's what our, our job entails. And I often think that one of the reasons I'm doing this podcast is because sometimes we need to talk about the positive things, remind people that good is more strong than evil. Um, and, uh, your family has clearly instilled that in you. Um, let's go back to that stage where you were, you were about to have this surgery, you know, you, you, Definitely couldn't imagine living without a leg at that point. But at what point did that change? So a couple months after the surgery, I think somewhere between eight to 12 months after the surgery, things started to go downhill a little bit. So at this point, I'm out of chemotherapy. Like I had the surgery. I had to go through another like three months of chemotherapy, but then I was done. And so at that point, it was just up to rehabilitating the leg. I'd go through like going through uh physical therapy and stuff like that to rebuild the muscle growth that I had just lost over all that time and to like re-strengthen my leg. And after about that eight to 12 month period, like things started to hurt in my leg again, decently similar to how they had before. And so we went in to get more x-rays done about this. And it turned out that the cadaver bone was not taking well to my leg and it was starting to erode inside of it. So like little pieces were being cut, like kind of dissolved on the side of it. And it was causing it to weaken and become painful within my leg at that yeah, point. I guess as if you're having an organ um, donation, it has to match with your body. Uh, mm -hmm. I didn't know the bone worked in the same way. Um, so you found out this was, did they say at first you are going to have to pay, perhaps have another surgery, another uh, bone put in? Yeah. So at that point, I was given like three options, basically. So it was either we could try it again, try and get a different bone and see what happens. We, Which at that point, I had already seen it fail. So I wasn't really like all that uh, gung-ho on that. The other two options were a surgery called rotation plasty, which is basically they would cut off part of the section of my leg and the, the part that was like causing me difficulty. And they would take the bottom half of that leg that still has my ankle joint and flip it around and the ankle would become my knee joint. And then they'd fit a prosthetic to my like old foot where that was at or amputation was the other one that I had. How hard of a decision was that for you? That was really difficult. So the first one I rolled out because I didn't want to have to do 
like get new cadaver bone every like so often and it was already causing me like a lot of uh difficulties walking and the like the payoff wasn't there anymore mm-hmm. like it, the first time there's a chance that i could get back to like being not active but like independent and at this point it was causing me to be dependent on everyone else around me which i'm glad i had the people to help me but i didn't want to have to like rely on them all the time yeah so i kind of ruled that one out immediately and i had heard a lot of horror stories about people getting like 12 13 surgeries and i just didn't want that i didn't want to have to live in a hospital my entire life and i was missing the outdoors so it came down to the other two and we had to get like three or four different recommendations from like really well-known doctors because very little people had heard of rotation plasty before the one i I mean i haven't yeah it's i don't even know how we came across it but it was one of the things that was discussed as like a very real option and so uh we eventually went down to a guy who basically specializes in rotation plasties down in florida and up until this point we were given like information but no one else really wanted to like give us a definitive answer on which one was best for us. So we went down to Florida to see this guy who specializes in rotation plasty after already ruling out redoing that surgery. And so when we got down there, he was the first one that kind of told us, I was like, Hey, based on your previous surgery, rotation plasty will not work how you want it to because of how the muscle was compromised with the tumor, because of how they had to cut it, open your leg to Put the cadaver bone in rotation plasty was not going to be your best option for quality of life it just wasn't i would have complications i would have problems because of the reduced muscle mass and the previous surgery's effects and so at that point it was basically made up in our mind that we were going to do amputation mm-hmm. and um you know that was the one thing that you hadn't wanted to consider so far you couldn't imagine living without a leg but what happened how did you feel when you actually had to make that decision? Did you, did you, once you had no other options, did you go for it straight away and just embrace that? Or um, were you a bit afraid of that? It was scary at first. Uh, I'm not going to lie about that. It was definitely a scary decision to have to make. Um, I was very lucky to like meet up with some people that had had amputations and just hear their stories. Uh, I, ran into it was a while ago and i think it was while i was down there still this was a very like brief experience and i don't remember it very well but i ran into uh like an olympic runner who had an amputation well, a paralympic runner sorry who had it was either double amputation or he just like was without born without legs i can't remember which but like talking with him and reading about all these other stories and how like amputation was the one surgery so far that quality of life was based on how hard I was willing to work. It kind of flipped the script as to like what I wanted to do because I knew that since this was dependent on me, it was going to be my best option going forward. Yeah. And so um, that's the decision you made. And uh, how quickly did the amputation happen? Uh, I don't remember how long it took for us to like, officially get it like from when we decided to officially go down and have it because we wanted him to do our amputation even though it's a routine surgery we wanted it because of how like amazing of a doctor he had been to us through this time we wanted him to have performed the surgery down in florida and we had 
we had a family friend down there that we would st- they were staying with that helped a lot too. But yeah, we wanted him to be the one to do that because of how much he had helped us in our decision-making process. Mm, it, yeah, it's funny how close you can become to the doctors as well. And when you find one one doctor that you truly mm-hmm. respect and you want to work with, that that's it, it, it's it's almost like another family. Like you want to stay with the doctor because oh. you've been so open and honest with them so far that you want to keep that. 100%. There was another doctor who, when I was going through my cancer treatment, had been th- with me during my hemophilia treatment. She had been my hemophilia doctor since I was five. And so when I got diagnosed with cancer and we found out that she would also be my um, oncologist, it was a huge blessing for us because she was like a really good support system that we already had that was able to basically get me up until this point in my life. And I'm still, we're still really like close with her Hmm. and stuff like that. And it's such an amazing relationship to have. Very nice. Um, And so you made that decision, you went in, you decided to have the amputation um but feeling it sounds pretty confident you knew that at least on the other side of this perhaps everything was would be solved in a sense you could get back to playing sport you could put all your hospitals behind you so i mean in some sense did you start to feel excited about that opportunity realize that this might be the end of everything yeah i mean i was at this point i had been basically stuck inside since i was 11 yeah. right and for a kid who had played like two or three different sports growing up at any given time, it was really difficult. Like I, I had loved being outdoors playing soccer and I had played like travel soccer since I was like seven, I think. Hmm. Um, and I was really missing that. I had like dabbled in golf quite a bit. I, I think I played a little bit of basketball. I don't know, but I was just missing activities. I was missing having Fun. I was missing being a kid. So yeah. I kind of wanted to like, with this surgery, I realized I could start to put all of that behind me. And as long as I worked hard at like getting better, it was a very real possibility that I could have. Yeah. Nevertheless, I'm sure that that moment you, uh, you wake up, um, you, you've had your, the amputation and you're lying there in bed. I mean, Talk to me about what that felt like and that that one moment where you realized that, you know, you your leg was gone. Yeah, I mean, it's not, surprisingly, it's not one of the most vivid memories in my mind that you would think. I mean, I've heard so many people, like, say that either they, like, immediately started, like, knew exactly what they had to do, and so they felt reassured. I remember people, like, saying, like, they felt devastated at that point, but knew it had to be done. And at, for some reason, it took me a while to like really comprehend what had happened. Like, I think I just felt really loopy for a while while in the hospital. But I think about like two weeks later after I'd gotten out is when it really sank in. And I remember taking a big, deep breath and just thinking like, all right, now it's time to work. And that was like a really, I'm really glad that I was able to put that mindset into it. Yeah, I suppose, you know, what I find sometimes it's not you can put on your leg and go walking somewhere, but sometimes it's when you're at home, for example, and you've got to get out of bed or you've got to do things. Those are the periods that actually are a little more annoying than just walking out and about. Um, so, 
you knew you had to get going. I mean, and, and I know they like to get you up and about as soon as possible. So you must have put your first prosthetic on really quite soon, I imagine, and started your physio quite soon after the operation. I think I got my leg and started working on it six weeks after my operation, if I'm not mistaken. Mm. I don't know. I, yeah, they say it's better for recovery. Six or eight weeks, one of the two. Yeah. I can't. I think I wanted at the. I think at the very least I wanted to at six weeks, but they said that it was best for me to wait at least eight, just for it to fully heal and let all the stitches heal. Yeah, and yeah. so I, I know the process you went through after that, step by step trying to walk a little bit further every day, trying to move in a better way. But, you know, how long did it take for you to get back up into, and then what point did you then, did you go back to high school at that point? Like what was the process like when you tried to get back into the to normal life? Yeah. So after I finished chemo treatment, I had immediately wanted to go back to school. And so I had, mm-hmm. uh, but it took me a while to like effectively be in school with an amputation. So I think for a while I had to go with either crutches or a wheelchair. Yeah. Because I just wasn't able to have a prosthetic on for long periods of time during the day. I would get tired or it would start to hurt after a while. And which which is expected with these kind of things, but yeah. it took me a good couple months to get to a spot where like I could wear it all day long and actually like attend school without any like helping devices. Yeah. I mean, talking about your friends at school, I mean, I I imagine most people wanted to totally encourage you and help you. Um, That must have helped a lot. But at the same time, were there any people who, who were the opposite, who sort of weren't kind to you, who called you out for it? Have you ever encountered that? No, I was very lucky. I mean, I know I've heard horror stories of people who like, just were not accepted and who like had very difficult times going through it. But I was very lucky that like the entire city rallied around me. Like I, I remember there was experiences where people had like, people had created a t-shirt to help raise money for cancer treatment and my cancer treatment. And people were wanting to like send us gifts and stuff like that. So like this process was very much helped by the support I was getting from my community. We'll be back in a moment with Searching for Heroes. Did you ever feel that, and even to this day, I suppose, that everyone is so kind to you, but at the same time, you suddenly become a major center of attention? Like wherever you go, people are looking. Where Whatever you do, people talk about your leg rather than yourself. Did, did, that, did you ever feel that? Uh, for a while. I mean, I remember when I was, it was, it's normally like that when it first happens. So like when it, for the first little bit after I'd gotten diagnosed with cancer, like everyone wanted to talk to me. Everyone wanted to like just figure out what was going on and how surreal of an experience this was. And then after a while, it all died down. And so it, things began to feel normal. And same thing happened after my amputation was people just wanted to figure out what was going on because it was like so crazy of a thing that was happening. And everyone wanted to be supportive. And then it kind of died down and tapered off after it like became old news, but which is kind of expected. And I'm kind of glad it happened that way personally. It just sounds like you, you seem like such a content person. Sounds like you talk about everything you've gone through, but at no point other than that one time in, in the gas station that you ever felt negative about it, or you ever thought other than let's just find a way through it. I mean, it, is it true to say that? I mean, have, 
have there been difficult times or are you just remarkably optimistic? Oh, yeah, there have definitely been difficult times. I think there's a large majority that I kind of blocked out in my memory while I was going through it. Mm. But uh, the way that I felt was like I can either sit there and pity myself or I could get up and get to work and better my life. Yeah, uh, that's what everyone needs to feel as well. Get up, keep moving, do what you got to do. You know, there's nothing can stop you if you have the desire uh, to do it. And you did. You you had that desire. And you not only got back to school, but you started playing sports, you started performing on stage. I mean, that's, you must have felt that there was nothing you couldn't do. Uh, after a while, it felt like I was getting back to a spot where I could almost do anything I wanted. I mean, it took a good couple years. I think I started out only being able to do golf because it's such a stationary sport. All you have to do is really use like your hips and your upper body and you can still get by. So I did that for a couple of years, but towards the end at, during my like junior and senior year, I was able to like start doing plays again. I was able to uh, hop into a little bit of soccer even because I had, I had a coach that like wanted to put me in and soccer wanted me to get it out and get in there. And by my senior year, I was playing varsity soccer. Yeah, varsity and I've ball. seen you scoring that the, the penalty to win, to, to win the match. Yeah, that was that was back in my junior year when I was playing on junior varsity. We had a tournament and we had a penalty shootout at the end because the championship match had gone to a nil-nil draw. And uh, so we decided to do a penalty shootout. And my goal was the last goal we made before our goalie stepped up and blocked their final shot. Mm. So it was such a... It was a great experience. And I was really confused as to why I got picked to be a PK person at the time. But, you know, I, I stepped up there and I made it. So that's all that matters. There you go, man. In, I Honestly, in the end, you know, you always find a way to win. That, that's, that's what you got to do. You, you've done that a few times. Um, and you didn't stop. You kept going and it, you decided you wanted to play uh, golf at college as well. And so you continue to set yourself goals as well. Um, what was that process like when you, you wanted to do that? Yeah. So up until this point, I had been like dead set on where I thought I wanted to go. I mean, I had grown up loving Michigan state sports. I had family that had gone to Michigan state and I was just like, I thought for sure I was going to be going to Michigan state and like leaving all that stuff behind me, like leaving all my sports stuff like that. Like I'd still probably mess around and play, but leaving it like serious for serious where I thought I was going to be leaving it behind me. And for some reason, when I got on campus, it just like, it didn't feel right. And when I went to Kalamazoo college where I'm currently at, I just stepped on campus and it just feels like, correct. I, I don't know what else to explain it. But the, and, there was the same that you've made those decisions. I think throughout your life, you had to make a decision, the one that felt right. And earlier you were making life-changing decisions. So I think when it came to college, you already trusted yourself. Uh, in the in the way you felt. And so you you took what was probably a surprise to, to other people, that decision. Oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah, when I ended up making that decision, it was, it was weird how I came about it. It was like nothing I had ever felt before. It was like it felt correct just being there and being on campus, like more than any other campus I had visited because I had visited like three or four up until that point. Yeah. And That's so... Amazing. After I decided to do that, we reached out to the golf coach and he was like, yeah, we'd love to have you over here if you're willing to come. 
Hey, I got a personal question about the leg. Do you wear a special leg uh, for golf? Because I've gone out a few times just to a driving range and still feel that I'm not not turning in the right way. I'm not spinning in the right way. Yeah, so it can depend. Uh, I The leg that I use is called uh, C-Leg, and it has a microprocessing chip inside of it. Mm-hmm. It'll connect to my phone through Bluetooth, and I can change the mode in which I'm using my leg. So uh, because I have the knee gone above the knee, it acts as my knee joint. Mm-hmm. So when I click it into golf mode, which is one of the few modes that I can do. I, I'm normally in basic walking mode, but uh, when I click it into golf mode, it allows me to like sit down and it'll have my leg basically at a locked degree so yeah. that I can put lots of weight into it and turn. Huh. And my, Amazing how far prosthetics have come. Um, I think I've got to get myself a golf leg. Um, <laughs> uh, um, I mean, it's, uh, it's all amazing. I think you've, you played college golf and now you've got one more goal ahead of you. I think your next plan is to become a doctor. Is that right? Yeah, that's kind of the plan. I don't think I'm going to be going like typical, like long-term getting like 12 year degree kind of doctor, but I still want to work in like the medical field. And so I'm trying to get internships at like physical therapy places or like become trying to become like a nurse or something like that. I don't think I'd, I don't think I have like the uh, the expert, the knowledge expertise to become a full fledged doctor and f- like biochemistry and stuff like that. Like I struggle too much with numbers, but like yeah. the biology side is still very interesting to me. Well, I I bet you bet you could do it. I'm, I'd know enough about you to know you would find a way. But I also would say that in my life and for my injuries, some of those nurses and those physios around me, they're the ones I spent more time with. They're the ones that really encouraged me. Like they're the ones that you are with night and day. And so uh, I can't recommend becoming one of those highly enough. I mean, so yeah, absolutely try and follow that path. Um, I suppose one one last question is, like if someone is listening to this who's having who's going through something difficult or can't find a way to get through something, what would your advice be to them? How would you encourage them? The big thing that I would say is basically like in these situations, you will get out of it what you put into it. If you if you let this thing beat you down and let it become the center of your life that drives you into a hole, it's going to. It's very hard to get out up out of it once you get it. But if you take it by the reins and you're willing to fight it with everything you've got and you're willing to put in the effort to try and get through it, things will become better in time. They can't stay bad forever. Things get better after time. Breaks will start to go your way. You just have to be prepared when they come so that you can take advantage of them. Yeah. Well, Mikhail, you've certainly done that. You've shown so many people how to do it. So I just want to say thank you so much for speaking with us today. I really appreciate it. And uh, keep doing what you're doing. I'm so impressed. Thank you very much. I'm glad to have come on. Uh, What an incredible person to speak to. And also, as I said, the youngest person that I've spoken to on this podcast. And, you know, we talked a lot about whether you're born with resilience, whether you develop resilience. And um, I think in Mikhail's case, he was, I think he was born with it, but he also had parents who really instilled it in him. Um, And I think that makes a big difference. And as he said, he was able to cope with the cancer and the amputation because he had hemophilia when he was young. And so I do think when you're up against a wall, 
you learn strength and you can use that strength moving forward. So in some senses, you might say, I don't think that every, you know, there, there are positives to setbacks. And I think that's what you have to look for in life. If you're going through something difficult, realize that it's hard, but when you come out the other side, you are going to be stronger, you're going to be closer to your goal, and you're going to do a lot more amazing things. But there are quite a few things that Mikhail said today, which interested me. First one is that, that motivation to get out of bed when you're in hospital. And we both shared that. He knew some people who wouldn't get out of bed. There are patients in hospital with me who wouldn't get out of bed. And first of all, it's amazing that you've just find those two camps of people, some who will get out of bed and some who won't. And where everyone I've spoken to in every environment says that there are just these two kinds of people. So that's what we're trying to figure out is what makes you one and not the other. The other one is that those nurses, you know, you need people to get you up, push you on when you're going through difficult situations. And again, we both experienced that in the nurses who treated us. And I remember the ones at uh, the Brook Army Medical Center just saying that they were really strict with some people because if you weren't, people let themselves go. And so, again, that's community. We talked about that so many times. That community in hospital helps, but community outside helps as well. And again, Mikhail is a perfect example of that. Not just his family, but also his school friends who rallied around him, who were there to support him. And um, could just imagine what it's like on the other side for those people who don't have that support, how hard that must be. I mean, I can imagine how hard that would be. And yet Mikhail had that. I think I would say that reminds all of us that we have to come together, help people who need it, because it is so hard if you don't have that support. So um, I'm, I'm pleased that he said that. Uh, what else he said? He, he was flexible. That's something that we've also heard. George, Professor George Bonanno said the same thing about resilience. It's about flexibility. And Mikhail had had one operation on his leg. He'd had a cadaver bone put in. It didn't work. And rather than just doing the same thing again and again, he learned very quickly. And he said, that didn't work. Let's try a new direction. And that's resilience too. He was able to move quickly. If something didn't work, he changed. So I'm impressed by that as well. So I think Mikhail has it bang on the head. I think he is a perfect example of the future and the people that we need. And whatever strength he's found, I wish he could put it in a bottle, pass it on to those who need it. Um, but as he said at the end, when in really difficult times, just know you can get through it. Know that you know on the other side, it'll be okay and hard work gets you there. And that's what I feel 100%. That's what I've said so many times to so many people. There's always good on the other side. Just keep moving, keep going forward and you'll find it. You'll find it eventually. Thanks so much for joining us today. We'll see you next time. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. And Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. I'm Guy Benson. Join me weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and guests. Listen live on the Fox News app or get the free podcast at GuyBensonShow.com.